No, no, no. You're getting it all wrong. Now, let's try this again. Behind the screens. All right, and we are here with a very special episode of Fried Squirms. Yes, yeah, so like I said, um, I'm, uh, I'm Danny Doyle. I'm Tyler, and... We have uh, a now, very special guest. On. I was about to say, by now you'll you'll have noticed the episode's titled a little bit different from from everything else. I might not even put it in the normal number order. This might be a half. I haven't decided yet. But uh, about a week and a half ago, we were contacted over email, sort of reached out to you about this movie. We weren't sure at first. We're like, oh, yeah, you, I, well, mean, I think the internet's with, awesome. There's well, tons of horror movies. You have to out take there. certain things with grains of salt, right? So you know, going into a little skeptical at first. Then we both sat back and watched the trailer. Yeah, and then that kind of you let some facts sink in, like, okay, this this could be real. And then uh, I did a little Google searching as well. And well, not just could this could be real, but what? this movie looked awesome. Well, yeah, this absolutely. And so a little bit later, we end up watching the movie, talk back and forth a little bit, and now we are bringing a new episode here. Uh, we watched the movie Savage Land. Yes. Uh, highly recommend it. We'll get into that in a little bit. But we are lucky enough... To be talking with one of the, I mean, yeah, with one of the writer, uh, producer, and director, and director credit, Land, yes, uh, and Simon we're with Herbert. Simon Herbert. So thank you hey. for being a part of uh, of our podcast. Oh man, it's a real pleasure to be on Fried Squirms. We can't tell you, it's this is great. I uh, believe us, we are absolutely thrilled to be having you, especially because we both ended up just loving this movie. You know, and and that's that's something that it's you know being a, a horror fan aficionado. It's it's hard to watch a film for the first time and like really come away from it, you know, wanting to give it its its proper respects and uh, you know not give away too much to people who would may, may be interested in it. So we we just I was really floored by it. I was too. But maybe and that's a good thing. I I feel like not everybody just wakes up and decides to like make horror. Uh, how did you <laughs> come into horror? Well, uh, let me start by saying you've got two meta levels already. You, you some people aren't sure whether the film is real or not. And you guys weren't sure whether my contact to you was real or not. So yeah, it's a little surreal. Yeah, we're all two metal levels. Well, we we love grassroots, um, and uh, that's where we come from. I mean, basically, the backstory is that there are three of us. It sounds insane, and it probably is, but it worked for us. There are three of us that did the writing, producing, and directing. We shared everything equally. You know, uh, if you want to be pretentious, which Los Angeles is full of pretentious people, we can all ourselves multi-hyphenates, but basically uh, Phil Gidry and David Whalen uh, and myself are all graduates of the screenwriting uh, MFA at uh, UCLA, okay. and we all have our own uh, uh, careers, uh, reps, working in various ways, but as we know, it's very difficult to get a, a project off the ground, so we decided between the three of us that uh, we would... Uh, we were tired of hearing, yeah, what else you got when we would submit a screenplay to an agent, a manager or whatever, uh, a production company. So, you know, I mean, it's not rocket science and it's not reinventing the wheel, but we decided to make our own uh, film. If we'd have known it was going to take six years, we might have uh, thought differently about wow. it. But I'm glad, I'm glad we didn't know that um, um, because it's, uh, it's, it's been a, like a wonderful kind of journey for us yeah so the three of us were screenwriters or our screenwriters and um we came up with the idea of uh, 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 we wanted to do a horror movie uh for obvious reasons they can be cheap um right we also 
we also want it, and there is a market for those. Uh, you, you, if you make a product for the horror market, you're more likely to get interest from a distributor. That's just the reality of the market. And, you know, um, we, we are personally like big fans of horror ourselves. Uh, but also we wanted to make an intelligent horror movie. Um, we didn't want to spend money making a gore fest or a, a jump scare. And we've got nothing against those either, you know, uh, mm -hmm. but but we we very much come from like the Romero school, which is a horror film is a kind of a metaphor for something. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, like, well, like I said, without delving too much into, into that aspect, I think you guys did a, a real proper job of, of incorporating that into this film as well. Actually, I showed the movie to a friend just the other day, and after we were done, the first thing he said was Romero. So, congrats, <laughs> you you uh, you hit it on the head, even from my well, own experience. We're in, we're in rarefied company, yes, yeah. So that's that that's how it started out. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, you mentioned being a, a horror fan, like going back, what what were some of your own horror films and, and maybe what what sort of brought you into the genre as a whole? Oh, my God. I mean, um, I, as you can tell from my accent, I'm English. I'm the English person. And, mm -hmm. and uh, my, my two fellow producers, David and Phil, are uh, American. Um, so let, let, I'll give you an anecdote, which is that when I was a kid in England, we didn't get uh, um, universal monster movies at all. Okay. Uh, this was, for some of your uh, listeners, this was like pre-video. So the only way you could see a horror movie was to see it on one of the two channels that we had in England when I was a kid. And uh, it never happened. So I had this uh, book called The History of Horror by Dennis Gifford. And I, all these lovely pictures of... Dracula and the creature from the Black Lagoon and everything and until I was about 16 and things started to be where you could actually like track this stuff down I hadn't even the first horror movie that I saw that was considered a classic was King Kong versus Godzilla oh, wow. that's that's how rarefied the atmosphere was there and you know so uh, but for me I've always been a huge fan of, of, of horror it's, it's just my wheelhouse um, and monster movies and everything. So, you know, you, you can go all the way from Creature from the Black Lagoon, which I see every year, uh, through to The Exorcist, mm -hmm. through to, uh, you know, uh, modern works as, as well. So, yeah, I'm pretty comprehensive that way. No, it, should, it's interesting because we, we kind of talk, you know, throughout our podcast, we mention, you know, the movies that we review and how – how far back we go with them. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, there are certain time periods now when we mentioned films where it was harder to get access to certain films, whether, uh, especially, I would imagine, if they were more independently shot, you know. So, I guess growing up myself and, you know, future generations coming up behind us, uh, the access to films is, is much more broad. And with that being said, um, it does take a lot more, I guess, in terms of content, what you're, what you're trying to get across to capture somebody's attention. And that's that's the hardest part I have with, you know, more modern horror films is like there's there's not enough content that really draws me in, captures my attention. And like I said, that's why, you know, I feel like the way that this content is, is brought across in this film captured me from the get go because it's something I was familiar with and uh, something that that really caught my attention. Like it, it I wouldn't say forced me to watch it, but I was wanting to watch it. I'm I'm really pleased about that, and and so will Phil and David be when I tell them. Because I mean, I think the thing was we really tried to do something uh, different here because we were very cognizant of 
the route to independent uh, films and distribution within within the horror context. So we knew that, you know, uh, we could, you know, chop some heads off and, and do whatever and, and go that way. But I don't think we even had the budget for that kind of special effects anyway. So what we tried to do was come up with something that um, was different. Uh, uh, and, you know, for, you know, w- what are the rules about making an independent movie? You have it in one location right. and you use five actors because it's a controllable shoot <laughs> and you do it over two weeks or whatever. Uh, whereas what we did was a used our own money, <laughs> which is a mistake. Uh, <laughs> B we had something like, I think it's 17 key locations oh. and, uh, 72 actors. And, okay. and, and, you know, having seen the film, it, it doesn't have that small mentality. Not that that's wrong. That can be great. If oh. you're reserv- if you're reservoir dogs, that's fantastic. But for us, we decided to be the little film that just kept saying, make it bigger and bigger. So, and what that meant was that, you know, we would have to, this was all shot on weekends. It, it wasn't like we had what is a general, you know, production shoot where you have a three window and do that. This was literally like getting the cameras together and, uh, you know, I think the longest prep we had for any one scene would have been about three weeks when we had some of the big, um, you know, let, let's call them monster, the big monster sequences. Right. Uh, I, I um, want to say that that's one of the things that drew us in. After email, we read micro budget and we weren't sure what we were going to see in the trailer. And when <laughs> we watched the trailer, uh, it did not look like a low budget film. No, it did no, not look not like, like a micro budget film. It looked big. And that's part of really what drew us in. Uh, it, well, he, the, the expanse that was being presented uh, and it was kind of a format that I think we were both familiar with from, from with growing that. up. It, it reminded us a lot of some of the stuff you'd even see on TV. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that because we decided that ambition was, it was not a bad thing. And, uh, you know, uh, every time we set ourselves a goal, I mean, in production terms, it was insane because, you know, every time we made it bigger, we just gave ourselves more problems because it was something we would have to deal with like three weeks or three months down the line. And, um, but we just enjoyed it. It was a real roller coaster ride. Wow. That's yeah. And the, the shooting on weekends and doing it on weekends is even more impressive. I wouldn't have put that together just watching it. No, it, it looks, and it, it's, it's interesting to see what I would consider the term, you know, seeing behind the curtain of filmmaking is knowing the efforts that you guys put in behind it. Cause uh, it's something I think the casual viewer doesn't really have a, a proper respect for is they just see the final cut, the final, you know, edited version of it. And for the most part, that's about as as far as maybe they get involved with it, uh, but from our standpoint, it it for me it gives me a better appreciation for what you do put in this film. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to say that it was um, planned, <laughs> you know, um, but it's kind of like you you light the rocket, you know, you light the 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 the, the touch paper on the rocket, and then you just hang on and see what happens. <laughs> and uh, thankfully for us. Um, I think one of the big things for us, uh, fellas, was that we, when we started this out, I think what's critical for independent filmmakers is that you get a good start, so you feel good about things. And literally the first things that we really shot was the interview uh, with Francisco Salazar, as mm-hmm. played by a real-life photographer, ironically. Yeah, um, I, I, I did read uh, a little bit about that. That was really interesting. Like He has no uh, professional acting background, is that correct? He, he had, no, zero, none. And uh, he's my my wife uh, Ellen is a, a photo producer and uh, she knows no way and uh, I knew him separately actually and um, 
so she suggested him. I was like, okay, well, that, 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 that sounds great. So we asked him, and he was at, at first, I wouldn't say wary, but he was like, well, I'm not an actor. And we right. said, well, this, this is about not acting really and then he pulled out this amazing before i can't tell you how many reviews he I that performance slayed it was amazing i yeah. was floored the entire time he was on screen you know and, and like you said it, it i think for him too not having a, a major or at all having a background in, in acting maybe it gave him uh you know maybe like some freedom to kind of just be himself a little bit and yeah. uh you know give a give a portrayal of the character that was natural is what i felt like it was a very natural portrayal well, I think one one of the things we aimed for across the board was a sense of naturalism um, with the actors, you know, and some are more successful than others. Um, but, you know, for me, um, we cut around stuff and it's like everybody did a really good job. So we, we were pleased with that. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest in terms of the way that we shot this. One of the great things about this one, and you know, also as a filmmaker, when you're on digital, there was like no mag stock no film or anything so we could shoot all day so what we would do with most of the characters that you see in in the movie is that we would give them broad notes about what they had to do and we let them improvise so th there was this was a two structure script the first structure was we spent a year shooting improv okay okay because we really wanted to get that sense of naturalism that I'm really glad you guys picked up on. And then what we did was we took it to our editor, uh, 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 Matt Smith, and he put it together and we had a two and a half hour cut that made little sense. But there's method to this madness, I promise you guys. So <laughs> what, what we did was we looked at that because we we're always trying to make the scene as real as possible. And what that meant was that we came in. Instead of wear, on the second cut, we came in wearing our screenwriter's hats rather than our director or producer's hats and what we did was came up with all the connective tissue between what was missing and what we actively needed to tell in terms of to move the story forward so then we brought everybody back and gave them a scripted version of that connective tissue so you know for instance with Lawrence Ross who is a good friend of ours uh, uh, incredibly talented um, writer mm -hmm. um, oh, he can make a really good performance um the scenes that he was in, like I said, it, it, for, for watching it, like I said, for its value, like I said, it, it felt like his testimony, what he was saying was very authoritative. And what I mean by that is like, you felt like what he was telling you was, you know, the facts. And uh, I didn't question anything he said. And he, like I said, he, he did a, well, a really well performance. Well, Lawrence is, is a uh, amazing and kind of potent uh, college lecturer uh, who spends a lot of time actually talking about uh, African-American issues on campuses. Most of his life is spent on the road talking to people. He's got seven books out. He's written books about uh, black pornography. He's written books about the first black uh, fraternity. So basically, when, wow. we gave, when we gave him the key bullet points, we just let him go. Wow. And so, you know, so then you have Lawrence, who's very verbose, talking for like three or four hours. Uh, and then a year later, we come back and we've taken out specific segments out of that. Mm -hmm. I found the shape of the, the, the rest of the narrative and give him some scripted lines. So, yeah, uh, that's, I mean, it's an insane way to work. I, I wouldn't recommend it. And think the irony is that we went to screenwriting college where you're told never start without a script, but this is how we did it. So. Wow. That's incredible as well. Now being on the actors does make me ask about, about one in particular that being a fanboy of some of his material immediately jumped out to me 
and <laughs> I'm super curious about Len Wein being in this movie. Yeah. Creator of Swamp we, Thing. Uh, we actually have a Swamp Thing staring at us in the room as we as we podcast. I sure do. So. Is, is it an Alan Moore era one, or is it a Len Wein uh, uh, uh It is. Well, I have the, the Alan Moores uh, on my bookcase, but it's a Funko Pop figure that's actually oh. uh, staring at me currently. Oh, good. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk. Just as an aside, uh, Alan's a friend of mine as well, so he's kind of curious, so I, I kind of know them both. Oh, wow. So, yeah, no, uh, I uh, actually have been spending the past year getting as many people as I could into Swamp Thing because I've gone off the rails with it. But good, good. Well, well, yes, you're absolutely right. So Len Wein, the creator mm -hmm. of Swamp Thing, X-Men, my favorite, Brother Voodoo. You couldn't believe oh. that I knew who Brother Voodoo was. He was like, that's so cool that you know that. But um, so how this came about, I think I've been communicating to you guys that, you know, we were m making certain aspects of this up as we were going along over the, you know, let's, let's say it was like two years of production basically before we get to post-production and whatever. So over the two years we were shooting the film, uh, we were shooting the sequences with uh, the character Gus Greer played by a really cool man, a lovely dude uh, who is, you know, some of the actors, by the way, I should say to be fair, um, have SAG cards now or, or were already and, and did it for us. But mm -hmm. so, so Ed, Edward plays Gus Greer, who is the shock jock that talks about, you know, his incredibly kind of racist uh, right. board uh, media personality. Right. So we're shooting the scenes with him, and in between takes, he and I were just talking and realized that we were both comic fans and we were geeking out. And he said, I know Len Wein. And I said, oh, that's cool. Um, and he said, Len has always wanted, I mean, you know, not that Len Wein needs to succeed at anything else anymore, really, right. given the track record. But he said, like, Len's always wanted to be, uh, you know, uh, to act in something. So we went away and like Phil, David and I sat down and thought, this is too good of an opportunity to miss. And so that, that was the fun part on, on a practical production level. We realized that we needed to come up with that thing with fan footage. Cause I guess at the end of the day, you would say that this is a fan footage movie in terms of 36 photos that Francis Salazar left. So we need to, to come up with a, um, cogent description about why Salazar would keep taking photos because that's the thing that always takes us out of fan footage movies right it's exactly. like you would drop sh camera shit yourself and run so <laughs> uh, um so we were thinking about like what don't we have yet and we thought we don't have someone that really like in, in screenwriting we call it hanging a lantern you have to, if, if there's a if there's a weakness in a script you have to hang a lantern on it uh, and illuminate it and um, so we decided we hadn't hung a lantern yet on why the photos were taken. And so we came up with the idea of uh, an ex-Vietnam uh, vet photographer uh, who could explain about why being behind the lens when you're clicking old school photographs. Maybe it's different in digital. I don't know. But, but you know, our guy, Francisco Salazar, had, you know, a Tri-X 400 ASA bumped up to 600 ASA. It's like... In fact, most of you listeners probably won't even know what the fuck that means, but that's... <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I have no idea what that means, that's for sure. That's film. So, uh, yeah, so in a way, we, we wrote the part for Len to specifically say, convince us why Francisco would keep shooting. Uh, so we gave Len his backstory. And, you know, once again, 
I, I have to tell you that for somebody that had no acting uh, uh, experience, well, other than the fact that he's been in the X Men movies in cameo, parts, mm-hmm, right. you know, um, he just nailed it. I mean, he convinced me that the photos were real. Yeah, that's 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 a good, that's a great point that you make there because watching that as well, it gave like I said, me as a viewer, you know, like I said, a little bit more backbone as to why he was uh, shooting the the photographs the way he was shooting it, and you know without giving too much away, whether or not these were staged photographs, etc. And uh, like I said, it gave it another kind of an authoritative uh, voice to back some of the storyline. Right. Yeah. The, the, the whole idea was to, to confer some level of credibility on everything. And, and the fact that we, I mean, we, we spent about 18 months on, on the road in festivals. Uh, I had a wonderful time. Uh, you know, uh, there's, there's nothing better than uh, horror festivals uh, to go and hang out with your peeps. You know, mm-hmm. so we did 15 festivals and we won nine best of awards. So we were really pleased with that. Uh, uh, well, because very we well felt- deserved. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, what we were getting from audiences afterwards when we would speak to people after the screening was... A, they started Googling it to see whether it had happened or not. And, um, you know, B, just talking about, you know, I mean, we'd be in festivals that were like three days of, you know, extremely inventive gore and and, and whatever. And then yeah. people came up to us and said, well, we really like the sense of creeping dread that's in this movie. And then, we, you know, and I'll be honest with you guys, we didn't have the resources to make an episode of uh, The Walking Dead or, or anything like that. You know, uh, we had the, we love the idea of photography, the idea of a still image, like those images of Bigfoot in the 60s or the 70s, having their own mystique. So, well, yeah, I, mean, I think it, it, it kind of, it makes um, you, you use your imagination more because you do have that sense of the unknown there. Um, you're not, you're not sure if you're, what you're seeing is real it's staged and it, it even makes it more intriguing with uh the, the less facts that you know behind it um and that's why i said that it that came across i think perfectly um in terms of giving you the creep factors you know you're, you have these um you know uh, polarizing statements from both sides you're not sure you know which side to believe in and uh the way that you use the still photography as opposed to like grainy found footage uh, you know, I think that gets a little overdone at times. Uh, like I said, for me, it does kind of bring it back to an old school feel. Like uh, you have that that sense of dread, like what's going to happen next? What where else are we going to find? Well, right. and from my side of things, it was that those pictures were the perfect answer to the question I had going into this movie. When I sat down to watch this movie, it started into this documentary. Essentially, I was wondering how it was going to scare me. I wasn't quite sure how just this information being presented at me was going to do something to make this into a horror movie. And those pictures absolutely 100% hit it on the head. Uh, those those pictures are still sort of sticking with me. Yeah, I, I don't I, like looking at them. I've, I've seen some screwed up things being a horror aficionado, and I don't like looking at those pictures. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Because I, I, I'll be honest, as, as a filmmaker, you chuck stuff out, you throw it into the void and hope... Or throw it out into the universe, depending on what your religious belief system is, uh, and and you want something to come back. And honestly, we've, I think we probably underanticipated how creeped out people would be from the photographs, which is again kind of like proves our point that sometimes less is more. And and one of you guys said it best is that your imagination fills in the gaps. So I think what we had was a perfect storm of having that intention. 
but also knowing that we didn't have the budget to do anything else. So it's like practicality and intentionality. But that makes me sound really pretentious. No, I, I think, the, like so the way that you, you guys pull it off, like I said, it, it reminded me of watching films when I was younger. And I even, like I said, go, you know, playing outside late at night and then you know, it starts getting dark. You have that, that fear factor of the unknown, uh, what's behind you and things of that nature. And that's kind of what it made me feel at times is kind of going back to that, that childhood fear of the unknown. And speaking really of Perfect Storm that I think really helps add into this movie is uh, you keep mentioning how long it really took to make this movie. However, right. I feel some of the subject matter is is very striking with, with how much the border is involved yeah. uh, and immigration and all that. Something that's definitely on a lot of people's minds right now. Especially. You know, that's, that's a great point. Um, you know, because I know we've, we've been kind of you know, pussyfooting around the movie itself. But uh, there, there's a lot of social commentary, which I liked as well, because you're not just giving us uh, a horror film in and of itself. You're giving us something more to think about and some, you know, some of the fears that other people in, in larger groups have and how easy it is to uh, kind of stereotype or, or scapegoat groups of people. And uh, like I said, that was another issue that really hit, hit home as well. Well, I, I think there was an interesting thing for us was that, you know, as, as I said earlier on, we didn't think this was going to take six years from inception through to, you know, uh, distribution. And when we started making this in 2011, um, it was very germane then. You know, we have short memories about stuff, but like it, it was very germane uh, then the whole idea of immigration and yes yeah, so of course by the time we finished i mean we we negotiated distribution over a year ago with terra films who is our amazing distributor mm -hmm. uh, and of course we talked to them about that being a marketing uh, aspect of it but that was all you know like real world events overtook us in that sense so we're, we're very pleased to have it out there at, at this particular junction uh, uh, juncture in history yeah, I can imagine it. I mean, it really seems kind of perfect for this time period right now, with how much yeah, it's come to the forefront again. Uh, as you said, it was it was around back then. It, it's something that's been brewing for a bit in some ways. But oh, even I think even now, you know, um, I know in in our correspondence in the emails, uh, we talked about kind of this, you know, the the political arena right now in the United States and and how this issue is still ongoing. You know, it, it gives a testament to uh, to like you're 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 leaving a place marker in history. Uh, in film itself, and it's it's still poignant to this day, you know. Thank you. I mean, I think one of the th one of the things I think it's really important to mention is the intentionality of the film, and this was particularly down to um, you know because w we all have our own respective strengths as 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 writers, producers, directors. This was something Phil was very interested in, was that it uh, it, it it come over as. Um, you know, really accessing this this uh, social commentary. So we, we felt that uh, it's almost like once you chain yourself to that as, as an objective, um, suddenly, you know, uh, it, it just becomes so much more important. So, yeah, no, we were great with that. It, it really, it added something that, that helps keep people thinking about it too, which yeah, like I said, is one of the, the amazing things I think about this movie, uh, as we just keep praising it and praising you, is that it's it's kept on my mind since watching it. Instead of just enjoying it after seeing it, I'm like, oh, I really liked this part about it. It's uh, Well, what do you think that was... Dan, let, let me ask you this yeah. as a kind of marketer, because like, f for you guys who are incredibly you know, horror literate, um, 
the fact that you kind of found it scary, but you're also talking about the other issues. Was 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 that the com- is that the magic combination? Because I would love to know why people are responding to our movie like you that. You know, I, I, I'll I'll speak for myself, and you know, of course, I'll let Tyler speak for himself as well. But uh, from my viewing experience, um, coming away from it, you know, like I said, a, a lot of films, with the exceptions of few, um, you, you just get them for for what they're worth. You know, it's a horror movie, it's a slasher, it's a gore, etc. And that's about all you come away with. And with this one, I kept thinking about all the different. Um, kind of little nuggets that, that you have to watch several times to kind of uncover the larger story. And for me, I was getting more and more and more information and made me think more and more and more about this issue as a whole and what it meant not only in the film, but as a, like I said, a social commentary in U.S. politics. Um, and so <laughs> I'm still thinking about it during the interview. So, I mean, it, it, lets, it lets me know that it has a, a major impact. And you were talking about Romero earlier, and, um, you know, he, he did one with Dawn of the Dead about consumerism. So, you know, yeah. I, I think about movies like that because they have a larger impact and they do have a commentary uh, within the film, you know, and it's, it's a really interesting way of pulling that off without coming across overtly political. Well, that's that's interesting because really um, there were two sources for the film and that was actually the dawn. Of, it's so great that you said that uh, because that's absolutely true. That's what we wanted to do for... Um, um, Excuse me. Uh, we wanted to do for Border Prejudice what Romero had done for consumerism in in, in the seventies. And um, but the second source material for us was um, the documentaries made about the Memphis Three. Yeah, and that was you know that was something that uh, when it first came out on HBO, I guess in the early nineties, uh, I was I was a preteen going into my teenage years, and that was something that really struck a chord uh, in terms of of some of the documentaries that HBO was doing at the time. But that was one that. I guess just within the last uh, 10 years or so, it's still relevant in terms of their story and the impact that it left uh, for those who had viewed it. Um, it, was, it was amazing. I, I mean, I was still talking about it decades later. Well, that's, I mean, Paradise Lost for us, the great Joe Berlinger film was um, pretty much, you know, you, you know, like if somebody does a fashion shoot, they have a style guide about what kind of clothes to wear. We had a style guide, which was uh, Paradise Lost, basically, in terms of that uh, whole, how, how do you make a film that, if, and, and let, let's be realistic, is that the Paradise Lost is about real people under terrible circumstances, so I don't want to be um, uh, superficial in making that, I'm just saying that that film, that film was our style guide in terms of how we wanted to uh, represent you know the fictional reality. It was more of a template, more than more so than you were trying to um, mimic what they were, were were doing per se. Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 yeah. But yes, yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. And I think for me, what drew me in was it was a little bit nostalgic for me. Uh, I also grew up in a small town that didn't have many channels, and usually, what was on uh, the most interesting thing that was on during the day was some sort of true crime documentary. So I was very easily able to empathize characters that were presented in that fashion. And as soon as I was thinking about their emotions, it really pulled into a lot of other things. Uh, however, the social aspect was also a big, big part of it. I mean, my name's Tyler Reese, Mexican-American heritage. The, the border situation is kind of kind of can hit close a little bit sometimes. And, and that was definitely something that really did draw me in quite a bit as well. Well, let, let me ask you something, um, Tyler, about that, because the, what we tried to do, and again, this comes back to something that, 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 you know, Phil was saying back when we were like beginning to plan this, 
is, is, is to make it real from various different um, perspectives. Because at the end of the day, maybe what, one of the most interesting things about our little movie is that the people have different views about what happened that night, that terrible night in Sangre de Cristo. And, you know, uh, it's kind of, we kind of call it like Rashomon Tex-Mex. You know, oh, it's, it's, nice. everybody, go, everybody goes in with their own view depending on their prejudice. And uh, our other guidestone, again, this is going to sound pretentious for a micro-budget horror movie, but, you know, there's that old Jonathan, Jonathan Swift quote, the guy that wrote Gulliver's Travels, who talks about satire is a box that you look in and you see everybody else in that box but yourself. Hmm. So really what, you know, the, the, the various perspectives of what happened that night, and we never know by the end of the movie what really happened that night. Uh, are no. that some people believe it's about in, uh, systemic racism within the police force. Other people believe it's supernatural event, etc., uh, etc. Et so did that, did that hit some kind of a chord there with you, Tyler? Or did, did that well, uh, I think the, the supernatural also came through quite a bit for me, uh, having also been raised Roman Catholic. <laughs> and, and so the, the resurrection aspect. Yeah, that's something that he and I both had talked about um, that I think a lot of people are, maybe are missing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, without, I don't mean to interrupt Tyler, but there, were, there was a, a certain thing I did want to ask about the, the actual name of the town that you chose. It was called Sangre de Cristo. And I was like, wow, I, I've yet to hear in, in an interview or podcast mentioning the whole blood of Christ aspect on top of having um, almost like a subtle religious cont- uh, tone to it too with the, the Catholicism within uh, Spanish right. culture. Right. Well, I, I, I'll tell you, that there is a, for people that haven't seen it yet, this isn't a spoiler, but uh, one of the images of... Um, Francisco Salazar in his youth is actually a historical old Polaroid of, of the actor that played Francisco Noe uh, as a kid taking the sacrament. There's the, there's mm-hmm. this thing of, uh, so all, all those archival photos of the Francisco Salazar character were actually taken from Noe's life, which he generally donated to us. Um, so, yeah, no, we were, we were very clear that uh, we wanted... Um, Funnily enough, the one person with a belief system uh, is yeah, there. There are mentions of his of his faith in uh, the resurrection and things of that nature, and I was like, "Wow, that was really done too." Because there's it without, like I said, without trying to give too much away, it, it does kind of play itself out in, in a sense. Yes, and and what what we did also in in, in a writing sense was we tried to uh, contrast that with the uh, the kind of the white settler mentality which is the family that came into sangre de cristo instead of the church who were very white bread uh, purposefully white bread so it's almost like you know don't don't wish for what you ask for because you might get it so you know there was almost this like clash of belief systems on the the night when that terrible thing went through sangre de cristo right and i think that's the one other thing I haven't been able to, to nail what exactly it is about this movie that makes people feel that way. But across the board, as I've shown my friends this movie over the past week, uh, across the board, even after we all know what this movie's about, you guys somehow managed to create a story that people want to preserve. Even when we all know the spoilers, in, in private, in our own conversations, not talking on a podcast, none of us still say what the monster is. Yeah, and that's a good point because 
for for me, I, I have you know many siblings, and, and one in particular, uh, it's it's ironic in a sense because when you watch a film with her, she wants to know what's going on, and when you watch a film that she has seen, she'll tell you what goes on. So it's like you can't get a proper viewing. Um, so being a fan of films, especially one that has such a great story and uh, kind of a reveal, I, I want like I said, I want to I want to keep it intact without giving it away. That's great. I mean, you know, uh, whenever Phil, David, or I have been talking to uh, people about it, you, you're always stuck between being so enthusiastic for your story that you might cross a kind of a, like a spoiler line. Mm-hmm. So we have to be really careful about that because we have to remember that uh, people haven't seen it yet. So um, yeah, and that's we cool. hope that they go see it. We want oh, to point yeah, out. Yeah, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna make sure that we we properly promote this going forward as well. Thank you, guys. That's great. Uh, with that in mind, though, too, I think, I mean, you definitely earned us as being fans. Is there, there any other projects you can mention that might be in the works? That Well, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy in the sense that, you know, th- there are three of us, and it did take six years. And um, for any people listening on your podcast who might be uh, want to be independent filmmakers as well, I, I mean, I think we, we were really fantastically is grateful the right word yeah i'm probably grateful that we managed to get distribution um Mm -hmm. i think it's come back i can't remember it was you danny or tyler uh said something towards the beginning about you know how there wasn't how to get distribution to begin with but if you're a filmmaker now if you make a quality product which i hope ours is you can get distribution i mean it absolutely blew my mind a month ago that i sat at home, looking at my, you know, home video flat screen TV, mm-hmm. and I could go on iTunes, and I could pull up something that we spent, you know, five years making. It just, no, it's, it, it, I have to say, it's absolutely blew my mind. You know, and maybe that happens to every independent filmmaker. Maybe that happened to John Carpenter when he had a VHS tape. You know, he's like, oh my God, I can play this at will. You know, I can imagine, that, and it has to be a, a rewarding feeling too, knowing that. That you like to your hard work that you've put in, you know, years. I mean, <laughs> more than half a decade. I mean, that, that shows the fruit of your labor, and it really comes through in this film. And you know, I was I was very humbled by the fact that you you know reached out to us, uh, and uh, like so, I'm just I'm just blown away by the whole experience itself. And the film, uh, you guys, well, like I said, without being <laughs> trying to trying to give you too much praise, is that like it was it was a great film, and I would I wouldn't hesitate to recommend it to anybody. Oh, I, that's that's really kind, guys. Thank you very much. I mean, I would say that the, um, you know, if I can like link fried squirms to Savage Land, I would say that you know, we put this together with like paper and sealing wax. It was like the first Wright Brothers aeroplane, and we tried to do some stuff and get it together and just be ambitious. And that seems like a pretty good parallel to what you guys are uh, are doing as well. So I send some love in the room. Oh, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about it. And like, so just just going into this whole experience doing podcasts is, you know, for for Tyler and I, it was a way of of our of us talking about films that we enjoy. Not only you know, you know, in social settings, work or outside of work, um, it was a way for us to you know to reach across a spectrum and uh, maybe get other people involved who who have the same passion but don't know how to get you know their platform out or maybe their voice out. So like, so I, I feel like you like so you reaching out to us on a grassroots level. Is only going to help that movement further, and uh, like I said, I'm, I'm really thankful for that experience. Oh, I'm I'm really pleased, guys, because that's how that's how shit happens. Frankly, is that somebody gets off their ass and like does something, you know? Right. I, 
that's that's how stuff happens. You know, I'm I'm a huge fan personally. This is reflect reflect full of David's views necessarily, but I'm a huge fan of Kevin Smith and his not his, not just his filmmaking, but his uh, podcasting, which oh. is you make you make your own empire. This um, this podcast wouldn't be happening without the fact that I listen to most of Kevin Smith's podcasts. Yeah, we're, we're we're huge fans of Kevin Smith. So, I mean, it, it it you you hit the nail on the head with us. Right, right, right. Absolutely. And uh, just 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 personally for me, that was one of the, the things that sustained me over the last five or six years. You know, as you can make your own uh, empire is too grandiose a word for our film, but you know, you make your own domain, you make your own space as as, as a creative person, as an artist. Empire might not be, I mean, it might be grandiose, but I'd still say the, the universe you guys created is amazing. Like, there was parts in that movie where I had to stop and remind myself that I wasn't watching a real documentary. I, d- I didn't have to worry about these things being outside. Yeah. Well, then we did our job. Yeah. And just another thing, sort of a, a little bit self-serving for our side, but I was curious with you being a horror fan, do you have any suggestions for any movies to uh, cover coming up for us well i i gotta be honest um over the last couple of months this making a film like this is like extremely you know uh great but it doesn't necessarily pay the bills Mm -hmm. so you know both phil david and i still have the same production company uh you know maybe we're waiting for michael bay to come over and and remake or reboot savage land for Mm -hmm. you know a few million bucks but we're basically pursuing our own um, individual careers at the moment. And with, with me, that involves being, you know, uh, doing a lot of uh, what we call the hydration tour, which is like drinking Evian water and visiting various production studios. Because I'm repped in Hollywood, so I, I, I do that kind of stuff all the time. And um, uh, that is kind of the focus uh, at the moment. But with the hopefully not a writer's strike but the writer's strike is certainly within certain movie executives they they think it's going to happen there is not a lot of time to really do uh indie films like this uh, mm. uh, at the moment uh, so I'm, I'm concentrating on a more mainstream uh career myself but again i can't speak for uh, phil or david one of the great things about our production company is it has three different people doing very different things, and we came together on Savage Land and hopefully do something together uh, uh, again, but we're following our own uh, load stars at the moment. Gotcha. We, well, we look forward to, to any any project you guys might put out. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll definitely keep, the, all keep you guys together. on the radar. Um, one, one thing I will, I will say, too, about the fact that, uh, you know, that you do have a triumvirate of, of, of sorts between you three, the thing that's shown the most um, out of all the, the titles that were given uh, was the writing credentials. And I, I, I wholeheartedly feel that if, if a project, whether it be a TV series, uh, a movie, etc., that if you don't have good writers, that thing will, will collapse with you know, uh, in a matter of time. And the writing was really well done. And it, uh, like I said, it shows once again. And I, I, I truly believe in that, that writing is essential in any project. Thank you. You're, 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 you're absolutely right. And here's the thing that was part of the writing process. Because as, as you know, by now, after our conversation, this was an unconventional project in that we didn't start with a shooting script. So, as you know, there was this two-structure thing with the original improv shoots and then the connective tissue actually written shoots. Is, is, is that, yes, you, you always need a writer's voice to uh, really create that ride. 
uh, for the viewer. So yeah, if we'd have gone in just shooting improv and not done the second uh, pass, then we probably wouldn't have had a movie. But it was when we came to the second pass that was, how do we streamline this in like 82 minutes uh, uh, in order to make it the experience that we want for an audience? Well, like I said, I, I'm very thankful for the fact that you that you have a, a strong background. Uh, all three of you gentlemen have a, a strong background in writing because it, like I said, it paid dividends in the end and uh, great storytelling. It's something, like I said, I'll be thinking about probably for months to come, this film. There's parts of this movie that, that freak me out when I think about them. When I think about like the, the pastor's call from the church, that sort of thing. <laughs> I even think about the aftermath, the, 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 like this, the, the aftermath scenes. Just, just the whole uh, social aspect behind it too. It, it, it's like I said, it's still going to be a, a topic that'll be talked about for you know, who knows how long. But hopefully, something gets resolved a lot sooner than later. But uh, like I said, I'm just I'm very humble once again that that you decided to join us and reached out to us, and uh, I couldn't be more thankful. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for coming cool. on with us. Do you mind? Do you mind if I ask you guys a question? Yeah, oh, certainly. Yeah, go for it. Certainly. All right, so this is what we've been finding out about uh, re responses to the film. and This is kind of breaking the fourth wall for anybody that's listening to your podcast, but the closing scene, you don't have to give it away, but did okay. you get what was going on? You know, knowing a little bit about uh, Spanish culture, Mexican culture, I had a feeling uh, of what what you were trying to get across at the end. And without, like, so trying to give it away, um, I felt it was... I don't even know if I want to say the word because it might be giving me too much away, but I felt like it was a martyrdom of sorts. Good. Excellent. All right. That's the point. I'm glad you got that. <laughs> yeah. I, that Is martyrdom was the word that, that came to my mind as well. Right. Uh, very much so. And, uh, yeah, basically everything that Danny just said right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was really cool. Like I said, um, you know, uh, another thing I will note too is that I liked your choice of using uh, Soviet France uh, for the soundtrack work because that, uh, another thing I like about films in general is, is the soundtrack work. Oh, I, I could talk about that forever. If, if um, I, did, did you did you already know Soviet France? Or? I, I didn't know them going into the film, but doing a little bit of research and finding out that these, these gentlemen have been around, if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but they've been around since the early 80s. As, as, as have I. Uh, the, at the moment, Zovia Friends, and for your listeners, these are the, the two people, that Ben Ponton and Mark Warren, that did the uh, soundtrack. Um, are um, they're, they're an ambient sound musician uh, group, which is, which is amazing in a way because how they started, there's a real direct correlation between independent filmmaking and independent music making. So in the 80s, if you're a music maker, if you had your own little Porter track, uh, you know, like eight track, you could make your own movie. Uh, sorry, uh, make your own uh, soundtrack. You could make your own album. Yeah, you could distribute yeah. it as cassette tapes. And that's how Soviet France started. And they're incredibly seminal band in terms of European ambient concrete music kind of stuff. And it just so happens that they're good friends of mine. So when we were making the movie, it's like, oh, my God, fuck, we need a soundtrack. <laughs> I, I, so, you know... <laughs> The, I think blending their style into your movie, it, it, I think it even made it more creepy with, with like I said, some of the scenes that you don't even have to have camera commentary behind it. And uh, uh, like I said, it was, it was, no uh, it was just, I think that's a really cool connection that you do, you know, have the friends in that, that the industry and uh, it pays dividends once again. Well, they, they, you know, they're, they're amazing. I mean, I, again, it's almost like the shooting of our film where we had so many hours of footage and we just had to carve out a small bit of it to make it uh, seem real. 
I, I can tell you now, Soviet friends delivered us like four hours of soundtrack. Wow. And so, you know, um, and our second editor, I mentioned Matt Smith as our editor earlier on, but our second editor, who deserves equal praise, Matt Eagleson, um, managed to like cut that in. And our sound designer, Kent Verderico, uh, who's a, an incredibly talented bloke who did the 5.1 mix, uh, you know, just put it together. So, yeah, the, the sound was always meant to be a, a character in the movie itself. Yeah, and then, like I said, it, it does come across across that way too because it does add a, a, another atmosphere, another, uh, like I said, a sense of dread and sorts. Um, I just, I really do enjoy that aspect of film. And we talk about it throughout our podcast. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned John Carpenter because <laughs> we, we, we make note that, you know, he scored his own films and that's, you know, that's, that's a major credit. I, I have every John Carpenter album out, including the, the, the remix of his recent stuff as well. Oh. The, the, yeah. So I think we're in the same wheelhouse, fellas. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So too. Um, you know, like I said, without nerding out too much, another, another group that I'll mention real briefly is anytime I think of this director in Argento, I, I think of Goblin and, uh, you know, it was, it was amazing that just a few years ago, they went back on a, a U.S. tour. That's something I would have never imagined. Uh, you know, granted, I didn't get to see them because I live out here in Montana. I grew up on the East Coast. But, uh, right. you know, there's just a certain, certain um, whether it's groups or just certain scores, it always it reminds me of those films. Well, I, I'll tell you a real geek moment for me three days ago. And this, this relates to, because um, we have U.S. distribution at the moment. We're negotiating foreign distribution and we were talking to a foreign distributor and they did a screening of uh, Suspiria and they brought the goblins over to do the live wow. soundtrack and I was like oh my fucking god I wish I'd oh, been to that shit. yeah that so, would have been great holy cow that is amazing yeah it's just just you never know. Well, you know, maybe something that you could share with us before we get like to get off too far off the uh, beaten path. Uh, was there any neat experiences while you were doing uh, the the film festivals, whether it was somebody that you met, actors, act, you know, directors, etc.? Uh, are there any neat stories along the way that you could share with us? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm sorry if I I, I tend to like go off on no, various. I, oh no, no you're in, you're in good company. Okay. Um, well, there's a couple of people I met. Um, let me give a shout out to the New Orleans Horror Film Festival, um, which is uh, a fantastic. Uh, th that was our first. Uh, uh, well, we, well, we we started at Comic Con, but uh, uh, but not in Hall H with five thousand people in, in in the small room at the side with like thirty chairs. Um, so we started out at Comic Con, but our, our first actual festival screening was uh, New Orleans Horror Film Festival, which is an amazing festival, and uh, I was lucky enough. Here's one of the things I want some of you, if your listeners to think about is that if, if you're a filmmaker, like festivals are a great way to network and meet people because everybody's hungry. And I met um, a lovely bloke called Stuart Wright, who has a great podcast. I hope you don't mind me recommending. Oh, no, it. you know, I, I think I know who you're going to mention because I honestly listened to this over the weekend. So I know, I know who you're mentioning. <laughs> Britflix, right? Britflix. Exactly. Stuart, yeah. Amazing podcast. And he's... He's a very talented filmmaker in his own right, but actually takes the time out to, like, uh, you know, uh, tout for other people's movies, which is great. So I love Stuart. And I also met uh, Alex Drummond, who made a film. It was originally called uh, The Shower. Now it's called Killer Party, which I would recommend. It's like a really smart, funny, light. Don't take it too seriously, like our film, uh, uh, Zombie Movie. Okay. Uh, uh, Killer Party, it was released in the UK as L.A. Contagion. 
so yeah, I mean, we just one of the great things about festivals is you meet passionate people like yourself, and it's kind of like a you know it's kind of like a Dungeons and Dragons club for people that make shit. You know, you all you all sit around and like swap stories about distribution and uh, how do we get this actually out there. So yeah, we had great experiences. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's awesome. Like I said, I, I know that you, uh, I think you did the uh, Atlanta Horicon, and then there was, uh, I think, the Durham, the Nevermore Festival as well. Uh, and like I said, those are those are some of those areas that I've either worked in or I grew up around going to shows at. So that was really cool seeing that you got some exposure in those, you know, in those, did, did, those did festivals you, as well. You, okay. well I, I had the best time at Nevermore. They, that was one of the best festivals I had. It was, they, was, they are so filmmaker-friendly. It's unbelievable. That's really awesome. Like I said, a lot of my time that I've spent in Durham or in uh, the Chapel Hill area is either, like I say, going to shows or, uh, like I said, I spent a lot of time working there. But unfortunately, I didn't really get to go to a lot, whole lot of festivals. That's something, uh, being out here on the West Coast, that I, I want to definitely get a, be a part of more. Cool. Like I said, with our conversation and uh, something that I would like to talk about a little bit too is, like I said, the film itself is, you know, like I said, just the fact that it's it was an independent film. Without knowing anything about it, like I said, I was blown away. And we don't want to take up too much more of no, your No, like I said, we're, we're just very thankful for the opportunity yeah, we're, to, you know, to spend some time with you because you're taking a part out of your day as well. No, my day's not that important, fellas. Don't worry. So this is, no, this is fine. Uh, we, we, we really love this. So, um, and the other thing for fil- as, as filmmakers, you have a very small window of being able to talk to people. I mean, you know, we love Savage Land, but three months from now it's going to be in the rearview mirror and as one of you guys said there's so much content out there so hopefully in in, in a way we can get some kind of culty status and like people will return to this over uh, a period of time but uh, yeah no this is great thank you oh absolutely like i said I, i'm danny and you know what you spoke with tyler and we're well, I guess once we get everything settled, you know, once the dust settles, we'll make sure that if you're interested, we can send you a link uh, so that way you can listen to, uh, you know, to this this podcast in general, and maybe you can give us some feedback afterward. Oh, we would love to. And let, let me say to anybody that listens to your podcast and you guys is that uh, when you're making filmmaking at this level, we live or die, reanimated or not, uh, by <laughs> social media. So share, share, share. Absolutely. Like I said, we're going to make sure that we get get the content out. Simon, I'm just, I'm very thankful for your time. You did an amazing job along with Phil and David, and uh, we just look forward to seeing what you guys come up with in the future, whether it's in film or elsewhere. Oh, no, we'll be around, man. And uh, the same with Fried Squirms. I will still be listening to you on the 405 like months from now. (laughs) Well, we definitely appreciate it. We very much appreciate it. That's very humbling. (laughs) All right, take care. Absolutely. Have a good day. So there we have it. Our first ever interview. Yeah, and it, I think it went well. I, I hope everyone agrees it went well. I, I don't know. I, I feel I feel like I, I might be biased to judge whether it went well or not. But I had a great time. I'm Likewise. very, I mean, we mentioned it time and time again. But once again, thank you very much, Simon, for coming on to the show. Yeah, like, so we're very humble and very thankful. If you've made it this far and you didn't figure out what this movie's about yet, firstly, go watch it. I think a little synopsis that's right here in front of me is small town near the Arizona Mexico border is wiped out overnight. Suspicion falls on the lone survivor. However, a roll of photos that the survivor took that night tells a different story. Yes. And it, it definitely does done all like documentary style, fantastically done in documentary style. Yeah. I so say. it's uh, something that you're familiar with and, uh, you know, keep in mind it's still a horror film. 
Uh, something I was going to bring up is it actually kind of reminded me of one of my favorite uh, serial killer documentaries, Cropsey. Oh, yeah. We, you have mentioned that, yes. And so, I mean, that's that's Mark High Praise for me because I, I love Cropsey. I watch that movie or that doc. It, it, bit, it is really good. So, you know, um, like I said, uh, with that in mind, it's directed by Phil Guidry. Simon Herbert, who we had the pleasure of speaking with, and uh, David Wellen as well. And uh, right now it's available on multiple platforms, which is awesome. Uh, it's available on iTunes, right? It's on available on Amazon, Google Play, Vudu, and if you have an Xbox, it's available on Xbox as well. I actually bought it on Amazon myself. Awesome, man. You came in to, to so we could get ready and get all set up, yeah. and I was watching it. And it wasn't even necessarily because we had the interview. I kind of was just had. Film, man. I didn't I mean, even finish really... watching it as soon as you came in. I was just yeah. like, "Yeah, fuck it." I was just I had it on in the background because it's that good of a movie. Yeah, and like I said, it, likewise, right before uh, we even hung out earlier, watched it again this morning. So, uh, you know, it, it speaks well of you know these these gentlemen's vision, uh, their writing, and like I said, how they how they told this story. It's really. And I awesome. want to point this out, like. He was kind enough to to send us a free screening. Uh, yeah, I didn't absolutely. have to buy it. I wanted to buy this movie. Well, likewise, it's you know the thing. The thing I like I about I wanted this, to buy this. I wanted yeah. to own this movie. Well, like I said, it's it, that good. Then that's the thing about uh, films like these, or just media in general, is you know if if it touches you, like it, it you know, like it, 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 like I said, the way we experienced it, right, is uh, that it makes you want to go and, and support them, and you know, we definitely gonna want to uh, want to do that. So I'm glad that you did that. I'm gonna do that as well. Mm-hmm. Man, I just want to say, like, we lucked out. You know, it, it's like I said, it's. It's uh, it's really surreal, but it's like I said, it's uh, it's it's really cool, man. And like I said, I'm I'm really appreciative. Also, I want to say that whatever you heard at the beginning of this episode is the name for the segment for when we we do interviews. We don't have a name for it when we're actually recording this right now. That's interesting, but, but it will, will be plugged before the episode, so yeah. you will have heard it already. And whenever we have one of those, that's when we have an interview, so you know. Yeah. So uh, you know. Stay tuned, and uh, we'll we'll keep giving you more content. That in mind, getting set up for this, we we've always been pretty. I feel like we've always been pretty transparent and sort of give glimpses behind the scenes when yeah, yeah, when yeah. things go down. And getting set up for this ended up being a lot bigger task than me or you ever thought. As such, it has kind of played with our schedule a little bit, along with the fact that you actually wouldn't be able to record next week anyway. Yeah, like I said, because I'm, uh, you know, heading out of town, so yeah. So you are going to end up hearing this first. Then you'll hear Scream, which was supposed to be put out today. This, unfortunately, will probably be put out at a later date. If you already follow us on Twitter, you will know that, because I am actually about to tweet that right after we're done recording this. That's really cool. So, yeah, like I said, we're giving you some new content uh, you know, in a, in a different way that we, that like I said, we weren't really uh, anticipating, but uh, like I said, we're uh, very, very thankful for the opportunity to give this content to you. And then you will get Scream, yes. which we recorded last week. Then you will also get an episode that we are about to record. And it's just, once again, like we, we talk often in our podcasts about how, how these things intersect. We just get done watching and interviewing a man about a movie done in a documentary style yeah, exactly. when already has been planned out four months in advance. Figure that out. The right. fact that <laughs> we are about to record Behind the Mask for Isla Leslie Vernon yes. today. So if you end up being like a super fan of our show and you want to know like what day is what we're recorded on, even though they were put out in a different order, 
we're actually doing Rise of Leslie Vernon on the same day that we're doing that we did the interview. I know that, and that's that's interesting when you think about like sit out how this uh, this interweaving of movies and all these different themes, and it comes back right on us. So mm-hmm. it's ah, thank you, universe. Yeah, it's definitely working out. Thank you, Simon Herbert. Yes, for coming uh, on, especially yeah. So uh, we look forward to, to like I said contacting him and, and keeping in touch. And, Support his work. Yes. Uh, all three of them. Uh, the movie is fantastic. Yeah, like I said, please uh, follow us. Share this episode because I want people to try to see this movie. Please, likewise, and you know, not just because first he was a cool guy too, super cool man, and you know he gave us a part of his day that he could have been doing something else, and you know I just thought it was really cool that he he. Wanted to reach out to us on a grassroots level, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I mean, so stoked to find out that he's Kevin Smith fan. <laughs> yeah. And comics. I didn't want to interrupt him when he mentioned Brother Voodoo, but like that also, I was like, ooh, somebody else yeah. who likes Brother Voodoo? Like, that's that's awesome. Like that's said, right. Yeah, that, that was really cool, man. And I, I knew some, that was something that you were going to enjoy about that. And I'm glad that you did. That was really cool. And I mean, with that, I mentioned it before follow us on Twitter, follow him i guess i mean i guess i haven't checked to see if he has a twitter yet we should probably do that ourselves that's a good point we'll like so once we find out we'll we'll definitely put the information watch the movie uh follow us on facebook i mean i know that the movie has a facebook go to go to that just because it's all part of the social network thing exactly so uh please subscribe to us on itunes soundcloud stitcher tune in however you get your podcast we're probably out there now at this point google play we're all out there. We're trying to get this available to all of you because we still love doing this for you in a big bad way. Yeah, we've we've got some uh, you know some really cool concepts and ideas coming up, but uh, like I said, I'm, I'm thankful for this opportunity what we just experienced. And I mean, he might be our first guest, but yeah. we have already uh, we have another guest up coming up. Sorry, uh, maybe I mean he's not a movie director, but you know, it's still a guest. It's still a guest. It's still a guest. And I don't want to put them down because no, it's it's actually something that's actually very special and ties into some of early show history in a way. Yeah, and like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. And uh, just keep listening to what we're doing, and uh, we'll keep pushing out content, man. We'll still reaching out and uh, see what happens. So we're going to cut this off. We have another episode to go record. Yeah, keep listening. Peace. <laughs>